Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome special guest, Nicolo Damasi, CEO of DMY Technology Group. Now, DMY Technology Group is focused on sponsoring the success of the next generation of great pioneer technology entrepreneurs onto the public markets. On today's podcast, Nicolo discusses what was attractive about the SPAC asset class and how it has evolved over time, DMY's underlying thesis driving its strategy for blank check mergers, key principles to be a successful repeat sponsor, thoughts on the current state of the SPAC market, and more. Point of disclosure, we do hold DMY Technology Group 4 units in the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF. That being said, please enjoy our podcast with DMY Technologies, Nicolo Damasi. All right, I'm pleased to have Nicolo from DMY Technology on the Absolute Return podcast. Today, a very well-known SPAC sponsor in the market has done a number of SPAC transactions. Two DMY blank checks have closed. Transactions with Rush Street and Genius have another two live in the market, one of which has announced the IonQ deal and a fifth one on file, raising an aggregate over $1 billion of capital from investors for these business combinations. So Nicolo, you're a real veteran of the technology industry going through your background, and then now the SPAC asset class with soon to be five under your belt. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, why you chose to focus on technology and M&A specifically? Well, look, it's a pleasure to be here. I've actually raised over $2 billion if you count the pipes, which is, uh, I'm sure, something we'll spend some time on. But that's right. uh, that's been over half of the capital in all of our deals if you add it up cumulatively. Good point. Um, you know, the uh, technology markets, of course, are, are robust at the moment. Um, and I'd say that throughout my career uh, in the public markets over the past 20 years, you know, they have they've been interesting to me. And they've been vibrant, although, of course, there's been many cycles. And I started my career in the, the dot-com boom, which then busted. Then we had the Great Recession. And uh, now we're in an interesting moment uh, with COVID and, uh, and all the sort of, uh, I'd say, stimulus going on in the macro environment. I'm a physicist originally. So my master's degree uh, was from Cambridge University uh, in uh, electron beam lithography, believe it or not, way, way back uh, in the day. And so um, most of my career has been pursuing something technical, whether it is uh, mobile devices uh, on the hardware side, mobile software. Of course, INQ, as you mentioned, our third SPAC transaction is the world's first quantum computing company. Um, that's a segment that I've been following for you know, 20, 25 years, as you can imagine, yep. um, and, and proud to be uh, pioneering uh, you know, the public markets with that. Um, our first two, two deals were in the, in the gaming space. And as you, as you probably know, I was the uh, CEO and chairman of a business called Glue Mobile for uh, 11 years, uh, which we just sold to uh, Electronic Arts for about $2.5 billion. Originally, however, my first public company was actually in the UK. So I ran a business in the mobile music space. Uh, and so I've gone from, I like to joke, I've, I've been telling the same investor story for a long time, uh, which is that uh, you know mobile phones are becoming more important um, and you're doing more on them and spending more time on them. And that was true. That was considered a controversial, believe it or not, uh, 
statements, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And then it was controversial about gaming. And then it was about streaming. And of course, you know, today we accept that people watch whole movies on their phone. Of course, they don't have an iPod. They just have a phone. Of course, they don't have a PlayStation Portable. They just have a phone. But believe it or not, there's been plenty of teething uh, challenges along along the way here. So I, I'm, I'm sort of proud to, to be here with a consistent career that's seen me run or be on the board of something like eight public companies to date. Our fist back will take that number up to, to nine. My partner in crime uh, on DMY technology is uh, Harry Yu. Harry, uh, you know, has done 12 public companies. Uh, he's currently on the board of uh, Coupang, you know, which is the Amazon of uh, South Korea, as they say. He's also on the board of Broadcom. Uh, and he was formerly the CFO of uh, EMC, Accenture, and Oracle. So Harry's done, I think, four or five hundred billion dollar market cap companies. And so the two of us uh, have a very complementary skill set. Uh, we've both spent our lives in the public markets. Um, but he's you know, a little more enterprise. I'm a, I'm a bit more consumer, I guess is the way to put it. But we're excited by, you know, obviously what's going on for not just our companies, but the next generation of companies that we believe we can really help nurture onto the public markets and help them set themselves up for successful growth in the next phase of evolution. Um, so we see ourselves really in the business of, like we've done our own careers, taking companies public, not because it's an exit, but because it's the next stage logically in, in a business's evolution and something which the public markets can be a great fit for uh, if you embrace them in the right way. So obviously, you have a very impressive career of adding a ton of value to to the companies that you've worked with and invest with. And with that experience on the operational side, um, at the executive or board level, and then investing in companies, how has your operator skill set helped with investing and, and vice versa? I actually think some of the uh, greatest venture investments of all time, you know, ha- have been done by operating people. <laughs> so, you know, things like Naspers and Tencent, you know, springs to mind. And, uh, of course, Masayoshi Stone has done Alibaba and things like that. And Kupang, actually, and Kupang. So, uh, believe it or not, I-, I think there's a completely different approach when you know what it's like to be in the trenches, running the business, leading the army, trying to take the hill. Um, as opposed to people that have kind of been in the, uh, the ivory tower their whole lives, kind of looking at businesses as an ab- abstract thing that comes across your desk on a piece of paper. And so bottom line, we have a lot of empathy for our CEOs and CFOs uh, who are considering if they want to be public, how they want to go public. Uh, we really know what it's like to go through that process, you know, emotionally as well as you know, professionally. Um, and we know what it takes to set a business up to really use all the levers of growth and all the tools that you can have as a public company effectively. I think the SPAC markets you know, have, have gotten uh, interesting in some pockets because there have been firms that have been treating them as you know, M&A conversations, not IPOs. That's a mistake in my mind. I'll come on to that in a bit more detail. Uh, there have been people looking at you know, SPACs as just another way to raise money. Neither of those, in our opinion, is a, is a wise you know, approach, and it's not the one that DMY Technology takes or looks to partner with. So we're really looking for companies that want to be public, uh, know what it takes to be public, um, realize that you have to price yourself and position yourself to be a successful IPO, and that fundamentally want to be public for the right reasons. I'd be interesting. Right I'd be interested in hearing more of your thoughts on those two points that you mentioned: these misconceptions or perhaps failures of others in thinking about the the SPAC structure in terms of number one, not just M and A, and number two, not just to raise money. What are your thoughts on those concepts, and how do you believe? You know, what's your differentiated view? 
Yeah. So look, we, we approach this from the perspective that we're looking for great, you know, Harry, you and I have done, I don't know, 45 IPOs or secondary offerings together, probably more. We've done 200 M&A transactions or more as a public company, you know, leader, CEO, CFO. Uh, so we've been around the block. We've been through business cycles. The reality is, you know, a good company to be public is what we're really looking to sponsor because, you know, it's our reputations. We're, we're here to be, you know, I think joke, we're here to be long-term greedy. <laughs> yeah. So we're here to be successful long-term. Everyone in our ecosystem at DMY has to be successful. So pipe investors have to succeed. Our IPO, our S1 IPO investors and our blank check companies have to succeed. Of course, the, the, the companies we bring public have to succeed. And everyone who comes in to buy a piece of these businesses later on, uh, of course, have to succeed. And the management teams have to. Um, and that requires pricing properly. If you read about you know, our transactions, the FT uh, has written a few articles, you know, we, we price fairly. Right. You don't see us price deals where they triple you know, three days after. That, that's one of the reasons you know, that I think people have gotten fed up in the Bay Area sometimes with traditional IPOs is like you know, the snowflake phenomenon where you know, the thing triples still the, you know, the day after or a week after it goes public. And companies are like, well, why did I leave so much money on the table? Um, so you know, we're looking for businesses that recognize there has to be probably a 15, 20% discount to, you know, to an IPO fully distributed value once you get through your first earnings call. But we're not looking for businesses that are priced at ridiculous discounts. We're also looking for businesses that are overpriced. Mm-hmm. You know, being over, overpricing is something that I think is, you know, has happened in a number of pockets in the SPAC ecosystem in the past six months. There are, there's a good number of deals from you know, people that have done more than one SPAC that are trading you know, below $10. Um, there's a lot of people that have gone for volume and gotten a bit, I think, over-exuberant on the size of SPAC they can raise. You know, we've maintained discipline. So you've seen us continue to raise SPACs in kind of the same size. We've never gone out there and tried to raise a $700 million, billion dollar monster SPAC. We keep putting out the $250, $300 million you know, sort of bite size. And, and we keep structuring properly with you know, pipes of high-quality investors, exactly the same investors you'd seen in an S1 IPO or a direct listing. Um, we think the S4 process that is a, uh, a SPAC listing, we think it's here to stay and it's simply an alternative path to an IPO. There's an S1, there's a traditional IPO, there's an S4, and there's a direct listing. Um, each one has a different fit for different types of companies. Um, and ultimately, you know, we've stayed away from um, businesses that are, that are you know, being, being shopped around by you know, sell-side banks, um, treating them as if they are an M&A process trying to get the highest price possible. That is not a recipe for a successful IPO. Um, you don't want the lowest price possible. You don't want the highest price possible. It's going to be priced fairly. And that's really an integral piece of our approach here is, you know, we're a good sponsor for a company if they value what Harry and I bring to the table as board members, advisors, if they value our institutional relationships and the fact that we've been in the trenches and we've done the CEO and CFO role in these situations many, many times before. And we know what the pitfalls are. We know what the strategies are, what the tactics are. Um, but we don't work with people who, who have other things they're evaluating you know, more highly than that at the end of the day. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more 
at accelerateshares.com. Common feedback that I re- uh, hear these days from investors looking at business combinations that are announced is perhaps overvaluation of the target. So it makes sense for DMY to be valuation sensitive. And you can see that with respect to the two transactions you have closed, Rush Street Interactive, trading under our symbol RSI, Genius Sports under symbol G-E-N-I, those two trading well in the market, well above the $10 price. And many of the recent transactions we've seen have just you know, not had that positive reaction from in- investors. And from what I gather, it's largely from a valuation standpoint. So it's interesting to note that in other uh, aspects of how you approach SPACs in terms of having the right size, in terms of you know how much capital that you're raising. And so you spent the first part of your career as CEO, uh, being involved in Glue Mobile, as you indicated, for a long time, then transitioned to, I suppose, full-time SPAC sponsorship. So I was wondering, what initially attracted you to the SPAC asset class, and how has that evolved over time? Your first one, DMY1, IPO February 2020. I'm sure you've learned a ton since then. Uh, a number of deals under your belt, and you know, what are your thoughts on it now versus then? And mm-hmm. um, you know, just wanting to get your insights as a uh, what seems to be a, a serially successful. SPAC sponsor because you don't come across too many with, you know, soon to be four or five under the belt. Yeah, no, look, we, we certainly think we're in the top 5% or five teams, depending how you look at it. Um, and look, I had the benefit of my partner, Harry Yu, having done a SPAC before, um, you know, in 2016, 2017. And so, you know, he, he came into it with, you know, some, some scars and some learnings. You know, I've benefited from that and he and I have continued to, to hone the playbook. Um, there is no doubt that every time you do one of these, you get better at it, right? right? Just like everything in life, right? I mean, you know, you don't want to go, uh, you know, in for cardiac surgery with someone who's learning on the job and doing it the first time, right? That's a, that's a poor strategy, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't pick neurosurgeons because they're the cheapest, right? You want the ones who are, who are the best and they're going to deliver the outcome. And so, um, you know, the reality is most people only IPO their business once. Um, and so they, they choose to work with people like Harry and I because, we're not learning on the job. We might be getting better at it as a great neurosurgeon, you know, should on their thousandth surgery. But at the end of the day, we have, you know, tactics, strategies, playbooks, and and a, and a community uh, that has supported us, done well by us, and not just done well by us with SPACs, right? I mean, Harry and I, I I've, I've run two public companies and, and two private companies before we got into the SPAC business, and you know, same same with Harry. And so there is a coterie of people that have, have made money, uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, backing us repeatedly in both the private and public markets. Um, and this is really part of the, the success recipe. If you have people that know that you, you understand what it takes to deliver an outcome in the public markets, both in good times and bad, I, you know, more bullish and, and more ebullient, as well as more bearish, um, they tend to trust you. And it, of course, you know, gives you an edge over other IPOs that are going on. And, and to be clear, we are competing with other IPOs going on. Um, there, you know, there, was, there, was, there was talk always of you know, the SPAC market. There really isn't a distinct SPAC market in our mind. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs is our underwriter. Um, I give Goldman a lot of credit for uh, dramatically changing the past two or three years, the perception of not just SPACs, but of the investors involved in SPACs and dramatically turning around the flywheel by raising the bar on sponsors like us, uh, who then attract quality companies, who then attract quality investors, and recognizing there's a virtuous circle in this ecosystem. 
um, you know, that are fundamentally self-reinforcing. So, you know, if you look at the investors, you know, Fidelity led my pipe on my first and third SPAC. Um, you know, Caledonia led the pipe on the second SPAC. If you, if you look at, you know, Blue Mobile and our investors on a secondary that I did at Blue Mobile last year, uh, and you, you know, and you look at, um, you know, people who invested in, in DMY one, two, three, four, and backed our pipes in one, two, and three, you know, some of these people I've seen eight or nine times, you know, in the period of 18 months and more than one situation, but all in the technology markets, all in sectors that Harry and I are, are experts in. And, and they've supported us, you know, almost every time. Um, and so there's absolutely an investor following that, that we think is a differentiator. And it's something that we're, we're really precious about protecting, you know, their interests. At the end of the day, you know, we, we are here so that everyone gets a good outcome. Goldman, you know, obviously trusts us and we continue to work with them. You know, our pipe investors trust us, our IPO investors trust us, and our, and our partner companies that we're bringing public trust us as well. Um, and as long as everyone does well every time and feels that it was fair all around, you know, you, you, have, you have the long term and you have a lot more opportunities to, to keep going and bringing more great companies public. And that's really what we're all about. Another frustration that I hear from SPAC investors, aside from valuation, is perhaps mandate creep or pivoting when a SPAC has a mandate, say it's cannabis, and then all of a sudden they announce mm -hmm. a deal in the electric vehicle space. So you guys, DMY Technology, I assume you're going to stay on brand with respect to uh, tech deals. Yeah. And it seems like your focus seems to be on gaming and mobile. I was wondering, behind the business combinations, do you have an underlying sort of macro or micro thesis yeah. driving the SPAC strategy at DMY? Yeah, absolutely. The underlying thesis is actually not gaming and mobile, um, even though we've done a couple of those and we've done quantum computing. It's actually a very simple but big idea that, is, you know, that we've been focused on, uh, Harry and I, for a long time in our careers, and that is what I call all-weather companies. Okay. So Harry and I have been through plenty of macro, micro cycles, and what we really care about are businesses that can, that can perform regardless of whether we're in a recession, we're in a great market, regardless of whether there's COVID, shelter in place, you know, regardless of whether there's inflation. Um, if you look at all of the businesses that we've brought public to date, they are price givers, right? So whether right. or not you're locked at home or whether or not, you know, you're on a plane, quantum computing is a price giver if you're the world's most powerful quantum computer. Yeah. Um, same with gaming. Gaming is, you know, gaming does, does better in COVID and in place than, than when, it, when it's not, but it does well in all cycles because it's the cheapest form of entertainment per hour you're going to find, right? So in bull markets, people have more money, they spend more money in gaming. When it's a bear market, they cancel the Hawaii vacation and they spend ninety dollars on Call of Duty, and it buys you, you know, a week of entertainment. Right. And so, you know, that that really is the overarching theme here: is the businesses that we support, whether they are enterprise SaaS or they are gaming or they are quantum computing or anything like that or AI, they're always going to be you know businesses that we think are going to crush it across the business cycle. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, you know, Harry and I don't don't control the macroeconomic climate, we're not politicians. And we've seen time and time again that great secular stories where businesses are price givers, so to speak, and have leverage over the customer, uh, you know, customer base and or they do something which is so valuable, such good value for money that it's always in demand. These are the businesses that you know, do well on a five, 10-year view. Uh, and that's very much our, you know, our, our investing horizon. So a couple of threads from that, focusing on companies that are price givers, also while being valuation sensitive. So from the point of view as a serial SPAC repeat sponsor, what are some of the keys to success, you know, without giving away the secret sauce to your competitors? Why should an investor 
want to invest in your IPOs? Well, I mean, look, it goes it goes around to the the track record Harry and I have had looking after public market investor, right? So, you know, I ran public companies on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, Harry's been the CEO, CEO and CFO of, of really successful businesses like Accenture that has grown 20x from IPO, right? It was a $10 billion IPO when he was the CFO at IPO. And today it's like a $200 billion market cap company, right? So there, there is, there's a lot of, you know, I think support and enthusiasm for DMY and Harry and I because we treated people right over the years in good times and bad. We don't try and take every dollar off the table, as they say, um, on valuations of anything, anything we've done, whether it's secondaries of public companies we run or SPACs we've done. Um, we've been good about looking after investors' rights and, that's, and representing them on, you know, on the board, whether or not we are, again, you know, chairman of Blue or on the board of a Rush Street or you know, a Genius or an IN, you know, INQ, et cetera, or in Harry's case, you know, Coupang, Broadcom, Accenture, EMC, et cetera, and Oracle. So you know, I think track records matter a lot. People have long memories. And doing right by people in good times and bad I think builds, you know, franchise power ultimately. Um, showing you, showing people you can get good results for them, even when you have to work harder and it's a more challenging environment. I think is, is frankly, you know, the hallmark of a successful, uh, you know, track record in the public markets. Um, the other thing that obviously we've shown that we're adept at is structuring fairly, picking, you know, to quote Warren Buffett, you're better off getting, you know, a great company at a fair price than a fair company at a great price. Um, and that's also something that we've we've been keen on demonstrating uh, with DMY technology. I think time to market's also been important for us. You know, we've been raising SPAC money and getting transactions announced. You know, in under certainly under six months, but often you know under under four or five months. Um, and so IRRs on our transactions are are really quite solid. And I think we're also grown ups about the fact that there is a transition. That occurs uh, at every stage of the life of a public company, and in the case of a SPAC, every stage of that SPAC from IPO through to target company identification, business combination announcement, you know, analyst days, DSPACs, um, and and at some point in the future, you know, even secondary deals after a business has fully closed its business combination and is trading under its own ticker symbol. So understanding what everyone's interests are across the, the life cycle. I think is important and also making sure that we are looking after people across that life cycle. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Something that you mentioned was board representation, uh, and that's something that will typically happen is the SPAC sponsor will stay on the board of the newly formed public company. And you obviously have a, a ton of board experience. And so within that, what what would really differentiate a, a board member that is just kind of completing their fiduciary duty uh, to one that is truly excelling and, and adding value to the to the company? Well, that comes down to sectoral and stage fit, right? So 
I've spent my entire career in businesses, you know, that are sort of sub $10 billion market cap. And so I have a lot of expertise on what it's like, you know, running businesses that are at the sort of scale that DMY technology has been successfully partnering. I really understand what the scaling challenges are when you go from, you know, a business with hundreds of people to thousands of people. Uh, we understand what it's like taking a company public that's got hundreds of employees, not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Um, we also understand ultimately what kind of uh, inorganic and organic growth initiatives are likely to pay off. And, you know, end of the day, we have some domain expertise. And so, you know, business building chops, as I like to put it, is, is not nearly as well uh, understood by most SPAC sponsors as it is by people like Harry and I have actually run businesses, right? So there's, there's plenty of, um, you know, recovering investment bankers, uh, you know, to some extent, or, or venture investors who, who have had SPACs, but most of them aren't operators, right? right. Um, the super majority of SPAC sponsors are not operators. There are some, and I, and I would posit they're probably all doing a little better than the people who are not. Um, and in Harry, in my case, uh, we've been, you know, bankers earlier in our careers, and then we've been operators later in our careers. And so, you know, we, we never forget all, all overall training as well as, um, you know, the fact that we are really quite comfortable operating across every element of the tactics that it takes to successfully bring a business public, conduct public market M&A, think through how you position the business for its first earnings call as well as, you know, its 10th earnings call, um, and make sure that everybody has a good experience every step of the way and is being, is being successful against the metrics that they are measuring themselves against. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I think good board members, you know, have the sectoral expertise, they have the stage expertise, um, and they really have the ability to, to, to recollect and empathize with what it's like to be in, in the shoes of, you know, other people at the table. And it definitely helps to have that capital markets experience in operatorship mm -hmm. when yeah. guiding business combination target uh, from a you know board level perspective. So that's truly understood. Now I wanted to touch on some market dynamics. There's been a recent downturn in the SPAC market. Some DSPACs have attracted some negative attention. I was wondering, given the current market dynamics, have you guys modified the strategy at all at DMY? And do you believe this negative perception of you know the SPAC market in general is justified? It's interesting, you know, SPACs had a poor reputation, um, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> um, then, they, then, then, yeah, then, they had, then they had an amazing reputation, and now, you know, there's, there's this very mixed reputation, or at least not very mixed. There's, a, there's sort of pockets of big differences between, you know, our friends like Harry Sloan and Sigansky that just announced a deal with Bill Gates' yep. portfolio company, um, and the deals we're doing, and, and people who are not able to close pipes and they're dying on the vine. Yeah, and it's a media as <laughs> so, well. I, I find there's a, like a media negative bias oh, there's a love, against there's it. A love, I mean, they just love to hate, right? It's like, people love to hate and it makes the news. And look, I mean, here's what I always point out. You know, there, there's been some, you know, unfortunate deals happen like, you know, the, the Nikola self-driving car one yeah. uh, or truck or whatever. <laughs> um, but there's also been, you have to remember, you know, tremendous frauds in the normal IPO markets, you know, whether it's is uh, WorldCom or Enron or like all of these sorts of things, right? And there's, there's a problem every year or more than one problem every year. Otherwise, the SEC wouldn't, wouldn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think more scrutiny, treating your, your deal like a traditional IPO is something that we've always expected. You know, we do full underwriting diligence on all our deals. We're very conservative in how, you know, we've, we've guided markets and how we've priced. Um, you know, there's no doubt that there's a, a couple people at, I'd say, 
you know, look, there's definitely a difference between a top tier underwriter, a Goldman Sachs, you know, Morgan Stanley and, and a third tier underwriter that you've never heard of. Right. There's definitely some people out there that have been pushing sponsors to, you know, to put themselves out and hold themselves out that don't have the experience, don't have the track record and really shouldn't, shouldn't be doing this. Um, but I think that is naturally getting expunged from the system right now. So there's going to be people who run at a time who can't get a deal done, who can't get a, a pipe done. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, probably in the middle of the market that get price, you know, they get to be repriced and have gone out, you know, too exuberantly. Mm-hmm. And there'll be people at the top of the market, whether it's the top five, 10, 15 percent um, who carry on. Um, as I said, you know, a few minutes ago, I think, you know, we're, DMY Technology, you know, you know, believes we're in the top five percent of the top five teams. Um, and ultimately, you know, we're we're finding, you know, businesses, you know, is, is doing just fine for us because almost all our institutions uh, reserve, you know, 10 percent of their capital for their highest quality most trusted partners, and so we're 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 seeing that checks are being written um, for our deals, uh, even if they aren't being written for anybody else. Yeah, that's true. So we are still seeing deals get done, as you mentioned that Harry Sloan deal. Uh, that was a big one. Uh, we'll see how it trades in the future. Obviously, uh, with a negative sentiment, nothing's trading too well in the current market dynamic. But moving. Um, on a go-forward basis, I was wondering, what do you believe is the future of the asset class? Is it along the lines of just a number of uh, you know top 10 sponsors are able to have a number of SPACs out there? Is the number of outstanding blank check companies going to come down dramatically from the 560? Is this going to be a smaller asset class or a larger asset class? And are deals going to kind of be in the same kind of target range? Yeah, so I think it's here to stay. Um, I also think that you know, SPACs have been around for whatever, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, they keep evolving continually. I think it's an asset class here to stay. I think there's no doubt um, that you know, this turns into what the private equity industry and venture capital industry has turned into. So there are fewer, bigger, better, higher quality teams uh, who end up persistent you know, and, and winning long term. Um, so I, I, I definitely don't think you're going to see, you know, however, how many hundred there are, there's not going to be hundreds more. <laughs> I think it's, 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 shrink, it's going to shrink. The debate will be, you know, whether it shrinks five teams, 15 to- you know, teams, 50 teams. Um, but I think it's definitely going to shrink, right? Because there's just too many people that have never, they're learning on the job, right? And if you're learning on the job for that little discussion on surgery, you know, you're not going to have a great outcome, right? <laughs> so we, we, we think that there's too many people that are learning on the job and too many people that, um, you know, don't have investor followings, have never run a public company, aren't operators, I and mean, they just, you know, kind of, kind of chancers, as they say. Um, and so, you know, that, that part needs to get, uh, you know, cleaned out um, to enable the quality, you know, of operators and quality target companies to really shine through. Um, and so we are, you know, we're obviously, we believe this is a healthy and natural continuation of what always happens in public markets, right? Um, and it's true, if you look, you know, throughout... Throughout time immemorial here, uh, you know, if you look at how public markets function, they, they do always bring discipline and a fairly Darwinian approach. And so, um, as I said, people will be unable to close business combinations because they can't raise pipes. They'll have to reprice dramatically um, and or they'll find they can't raise another one. And so I think, you know, the reality is you're going to get uh, whether it's one third, two thirds of the market pushed out. I, I think this will be, you know, this will be back down to 100 SPACs or, or fewer, I expect, is what happens in the next, you know year or so. 
And from what I'm hearing for each business combination announced, there's 10 that go unannounced because they're either unable to, you know, uh, solidify the pipe. It's largely just the, the financing and aftermarket support there. So certainly the dynamic has changed from January and February where basically anyone could IPO. Now it appears mm-hmm. that the market has become much more discerning. So you're seeming on point with that. Um, prior to letting you go today, was wondering... Where can investors find out more about DMY technology and what you guys are up to? Well, our website obviously uh, stays up to date. So www.dmytechnology.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's just at Niccolo De Masi uh, or on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for my name. Um, and so, you know, we keep uh, pretty current on what our portfolio companies are doing. Um, all major SEC announcements, of course, are on our website. Um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, we are we are cautiously uh, following the SEC's rules, obviously on uh, use of social media, and so um, we we tend to uh, make sure that we're only retweeting things that have already been announced in a formal 8K, you know, et cetera, um, across all of our businesses. But uh, it's an exciting ecosystem here. Um, you know, Rush Street's doing well, Genius is doing well, INQ is path breaking here um, and uh, has yet to close, but is well on its way. Um, and uh, you should watch the space. I mean, obviously, we continue to uh, sor- source transactions for uh, EMY4 and, and other SPACs that we have uh, coming to market. Um, and uh, we look forward to being back on the show in due course to talk about uh, our next deal. So are you telling me you're not taking the Elon Musk approach to Twitter? <laughs> yeah, not, not that one. Not, probably not the Chamath <laughs> one either. I mean, there, I think there's a number of people that, have, that fly a little close to the sun. But I think when you get the share the SEC writing you letters back personally as open letters back to you, it's probably not a good sign for you, right? Yeah. So, so and today, you know, I think you, you, you want to be always conservative in public markets. It's uh, like I said, it's all about, in our view, the, the long term here about who's going to win long term, build the biggest and most reliable and most trusted franchise long term. That's what public markets really, uh, you know, respect. Well, that's a great place to wrap it up. Looking forward to seeing what you guys bring to market with DMY Technology Group 4. We'll have to have you on the show again after that one is publicly announced. Wishing you the best of luck in the market out there. And uh, yeah, can't wait to ch- chat soon. And good luck with the fifth, fifth one. Thank you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.